Hey, superhumans. Welcome back to the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Today, I am continuing our hiatus from our uh, regular format, our interview format. We'll be bringing that back pretty soon. I realized, though, after the last episode that I recorded, uh, that I think it would be incomplete without a further examination of, of energy and attention, and I wanted to provide some more mental models that really help in that process of understanding how your attention works and how it's spent. And I want to stress the term mental models here. So I think it is uh, Peter Drucker who said, all models are wrong, some are useful. And I think that that's always been really helpful for me to understand <laughs> models. It's just a systematic way of, of thinking about something. And it's never necessarily right. It's not, it's not necessarily about being uh, scientifically accurate or anything like that. It's, a, it's a, a way to think about something that is useful for whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So one model, uh, while it might be inaccurate, can be useful in a certain situation for a certain time and not useful for a different situation in a different time. And so uh, what I am about to explain and go through is a, a model that I have developed to think about attention and energy. And, and when I say I've developed it, it's definitely not, <laughs> it's not something that I've just uh, completely pulled out of thin air. There's, there's a lot of this that I'm, I'm taking from uh, my background with industrial engineering uh, that I learned about, you know, how operators um, function in different environments for like industrial purposes uh, and understanding attention in that format. Um, and some of this is coming from, from psychology, you know, it, it's coming from several different places, but um, the way that I'm going to be talking about it is, is maybe slightly different than you're going to hear anywhere else because it is a model that I have used for practical purposes. So this is something that I take my clients through, um, something that I use personally, because I have found it to be uh, very useful for this personal application of, of understanding attention and mental energy and how it gets spent and uh, how to predict it and how to, um, how to plan based on our attentional capacity. So uh, with all of that in mind, I will just jump into it. So last week, last episode, I shared about this process that you can use that's really helpful for getting a better grasp of how your attention and your energy is spent and how to track that and get more of an intuition so that uh, you can plan accordingly and you can you can make your plans actually work out how you expect them to and you can make your time estimates for tasks uh, a lot more accurate. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd recommend go go back to that one first. Um, you could probably listen to these in either order, but I might reference that one. Uh, so it might be useful to, to listen to that one first. But this is going to pair right up with that. And I think it's it's going to be helpful if, if you're actually following through and trying that um, tracking approach I talked about last time and just to make it more effective. So the model that I use when thinking about attention and mental energy and how it's spent, I, I think of attention as a, a finite resource. And 
we spend that resource and what we spend it on is information. So a couple different ways to think about this. You could think, uh, often we talk about consuming information or consuming content. I like to flip that on its head and think about the fact that the information actually consumes attention. That's been a, a really useful way to think of it for me anyway. Information consumes attention. And so we can't have a conversation about attention without really understanding what information is and how it consumes our attention. So the model that I use is understanding just a really simplified way to, to think about this that's really practical is thinking about information in two different ways and how we interact with it specifically as humans. There is an internal interaction with information. I just call it internal information. And then there's external. So I think the external is a little bit easier to understand. So to start there, uh, external information, that would be any information that you take in or process through your senses. So uh, that's your taste, your sight, touch, etc. So it's coming in in from your environment. So you're interacting with your the environment around you and there is sensory information coming in through your senses. And of course, it's all being processed in your brain and that's where the attention is getting spent to process that information. So that's how I think of external information. It's a little oversimplified, but for these for the purposes we're going to be talking about, I think that's a really really useful way to think about it. Uh, so the other side of that being internal. And there can be some gray areas between these, but I tend to think of that as uh, cognitive processes. Uh, so kind of like the executive prefrontal cortex kind of thinking, reason, logic, um, emotions, uh, pain. Pain, I'd say, can kind of kind of cross that boundary. It can kind of be one or the other or both. And, and all of these probably can phase into each other a little bit. But uh, a useful way to think about it and to classify it is think about how different tasks affect you and what do you want to do after performing a certain task. If after a certain activity, you just want to curl up in a dark room and have no light, no sound, no anything, that was probably a really heavily external task. In other words, it was sensory overload and it makes you want to go into like a sensory deprivation tank. So you could think of that activity as being heavily external. Whereas on the opposite side of that, if you've had, uh, if you've been doing some, some really deep cognitive work, um, writing or working on your computer, spreadsheets, you know, <laughs> anything like that, um, or wrestling with your emotions, uh, afterwards you might just wanna go take a walk. Uh, and, and just get out of your head. And another way, good way to, maybe helpful way to think about this is um, if you've ever been working and you just feel like the world around you kind of disappears, everything is happening inside of your head. You're obviously still taking in information from your environment, but you're almost completely blocking it out and ignoring it. So that would be a really heavily internal task, internal activity. And any task is going to be some combination of the two. There's nothing that's, at least I can't think of anything that's entirely external or entirely internal. 
there's always going to be a sliding scale on both of those metrics for each task. But for practical purposes, you can really think of it uh, in that dichotomy most of the time. Uh, something is going to be more heavily external or more heavily internal because we only have so much uh, bandwidth. And so we tend to lean into one or the other. So the reason that this is a helpful way to think about it is because a couple different phenomena that um, I think are are well documented. Of course, this model is my own, so uh, it's it's maybe not going to line up perfectly with some other things. Maybe you've heard or research you've read, but um, when you focus on if you if you focus on one type of information, your ability, your capacity to focus on the other type of information slowly recovers. And I'm using that as a general rule. There's definitely exceptions. Um, if you go really extreme, if there's an activity that's that's really extreme on one end, you might just completely burn yourself out. Uh, and that's something uh, I'll, I'll get to in a second here. But, but in general, if you have a task that is... Um, let's say moderately external and very light internal. So an example of this might be um, going on a hike and specifically going on a hike and not just thinking the whole time. You're really experiencing, you're really taking in the sensory information and you're focused on that. You're not spending it thinking about everything you have to do and uh, processing emotions or trauma or anything like that. Like you're out of your head, you're going on a walk, you're enjoying the scenery, you're listening to the birds, uh, just uh, feeling the exertion in your body, the heavy breathing, everything like that. You're just uh, experiencing the world through your senses. Um, so that would be uh, um, maybe a moderate external activity, pretty light internal. So while you're going on that hike, your capacity, your ability to focus on internal information is going to slowly recover. Meaning that after that hike, you are going to be more well-equipped to, assuming you don't burn yourself out, you are going to be more well-equipped to handle internal work than you might have been before the hike. And the same, of course, goes, uh, like, optimally, if you want to recover, you would just take a break from both, uh, so that both would slowly recover during your day. I don't have the exact math on this, um, but I have worked with, with lots of people and had them graph this out, and I've seen it in my own life and done a lot of my own graphing, and I think it is consistent with, with research that I've read uh, throughout the years, both as an engineer and working with psychologists and neuroscientists and everything like that, that um, that we have the capacity during the day to recover from from different attention expenditures, but there is some sort of, uh, there are some sort of exponential uh, equations floating around in there. And what I mean by that is uh, the further you burn yourself out overall, the more you go into what you might consider like an attentional deficit. And I think even if you don't know what that, uh, what that means from a neuroscientist neuroscientific perspective I think you'd probably know it if you felt it uh, that sense of burnout like I just don't want to do anything I want to sit on the couch and stare at the wall that kind of thing that would be a maybe an internal and external burnout 
the recovery process is slower. So I would think of it as like uh, it starts slow and it will speed up over time. But the further you burden yourself out, the longer it's going to take for that uh, for that recovery to accelerate. Uh, so without getting too too technical or in the weeds, let's let's talk a little bit about the the practical applications of this uh, and how it matches up with what I talked about last week was which was tracking your attention and your energy and and the factors that affect those things. So uh, practically speaking, if you're working. Uh, let's say you have a, a nine to five job or something like that, and you're you're pretty much an information worker. So you're working at a computer most of the day, or you're working on cognitively demanding projects most of the day. I think that's that's a lot of people. So just using a generalization here, uh, the people that I've worked with that fall into that category tend to exhibit really uh, similar curves throughout their day. And the ways that you can improve those curves is to think about, okay, well, if I'm doing cognitively demanding work all day long, I'm spending the same kind of attention or I'm cons- I'm allowing the same kind of information to consume my attention all day long. I'm pushing myself into an attentional deficit. I'm pr- pushing myself into a burnout. How can I prevent that burnout from happening? Because once it happens, it's going to take longer to, longer to recover. If there was any way where I could recover incrementally throughout the day, I could prevent that burnout altogether and get a lot more effective time for that kind of cognitive work. So to put this in really simple terms, how can I switch the type of attention I'm spending so that I can get a, get a recovery? Or how can I take a break? So practically what that looks like, uh, let's say you are working for uh, three hours straight and if you're mapping your attention, you say, hey, well, after three hours, I hit a low point, which is really common for people. They'll, they'll get two or three hours of work in the morning and they'll feel really burnt out and they'll have a slow recovery throughout the day. How can I prevent that burnout from happening? Most people are going to take their break at the burnout point where they feel like their attention their ability to perform those cognitive tasks is at a low point. A lot of people, this falls somewhere around lunchtime, somewhere around noon, if they started work at nine o'clock. Well, if I know that going into a burnout is going to cause the recovery to be a lot slower, then if I could prevent it altogether, that's my goal. So what happens is you end up being a lot better off if you push your break earlier than you feel like you need it. This is another reason why it's really important to graph because uh, this isn't something that is easy to intuitively predict as it's happening. But if you've seen the pattern happen day to day to day, you can say, okay, based on when I start work and if I start at the same time every day, if I start at nine o'clock, I'm probably gonna hit that burnout point where I really don't feel like working anymore, somewhere around noon. And that's that's where I'm at the, the bottom of that curve. So rather than taking my break at noon, where I should actually take it is right before I start that downward decline because the further down I go, the harder it is to recover. So if I can prevent that altogether uh, from really dipping down and hitting that burnout spot, that's gonna be the best. So I might move that break time back 30 minutes, maybe even an hour. So instead of taking the break at 12, I might take it at 11 or 11.30 or something like that. And that means my recovery time is gonna be a lot faster. So even if I take a break that's the same length, because I took it before I hit a burnout, that dip is going to be shorter and shallower. And so I'm actually going to get more effective work out of my day. 
and how you take that break is really, really critical. So we've talked about these two types of information and how if we focus on one, the ability to focus on the other slowly uh, slowly increases or slowly recovers. So those breaks that you take, rather than spending your attention during those breaks on the same type of information, you need to switch to the other or take a break from both. A lot of people try to take breaks that spend the same type of attention and actually end up pushing themselves to burn out even faster. For an example, if during lunchtime, you take a break somewhere around noon at the bottom when you're kind of already feeling that first burnout of the day, and you jump on your phone and you watch YouTube videos or you get on social media or you play a game, something like that, it's probably burning you out even worse. It feels like a break because you've, you've switched to something that's maybe more enjoyable to you. But from an attentional standpoint, things like social media, things like games, things like YouTube, they are literally designed to consume your attention as fast as possible. The designers of these things, games, social media, are trying to keep you locked in, keep your attention as long and take as much of it as possible. And so if you're using those things for your breaks, those things are probably robbing you of attention even faster than your work was. It just doesn't feel like it because it's leisure activity, right? It's more fun. But you're prolonging the amount of time, probably significantly, that it takes to recover and you're drastically impacting the quality of your work later in the day and probably how you feel. <laughs> so that's no good. So if you do have a cognitively demanding job, first thing you can do is move your break earlier. Try to move it so that it happens, you start taking the break before that downward curve even starts. So what that's gonna feel like is you're gonna feel like you're taking your break too early because you don't need it yet. And that's exactly when you should take it. You should take it while you're still feeling productive. And that's going to be really annoying at first, maybe, because you're like, man, I'm in the zone. I don't want to take the break now. But you know that that drop is just about to happen because you've done the work to chart it. So you know it's coming up. So you actually take the break when you're still feeling good. And it's going to prevent you from ever feeling really burnt out. You're still going to have a dip, most likely, but it's not going to be nearly as uh, severe and it's not going to last as long. And then you're going to feel a lot better when you jump back into work after your break. So that break, instead of jumping on social media, YouTube, anything that really consumes your internal attentional capacity, do something that's externally focused or neutral. So I really recommend taking your breaks in such a way that you, you can go on a walk. Uh, and when I say go on a walk, I really mean get out of your head and go on a walk. <laughs> Don't just go on a walk um, around the block and continue to think about your work. That's not going to be very helpful. Uh, it'll help to, to get up and move a little bit, but it's not going to have the nearly the impact that it could. When you go on a walk, actually focus on the, the external information. Focus on the sights, the sounds, the feelings. 
or just let your mind rest if you can. I know that that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with. And that is why a practice of meditation is often uh, extremely valuable. And the type of meditation specifically that I'm talking about here is really just the ability to let your mind rest and not to focus on any thoughts, just having that ability to let your mind rest. So you might think of meditation, uh, typically depending on what your background is, as being something that's a very internally focused, focused on what's going on inside of your head. The type I'm talking about is actually more on the external side. You're focusing on what's outside of you, your sensory inputs rather than what's inside, or uh, perhaps even better yet, it's neutral. You can really let both of those things go, and that's going to allow you to recover uh, your attentional capacity in both respects faster. So uh, one thing for those who have been in the self-improvement productivity space uh, for a little while, you've probably heard of the Pomodoro technique. We might have mentioned it on the show at some point, I believe we have. One of the biggest mistakes people make with the Pomodoro technique, which uh, if you haven't heard of it, essentially it's, it's working in roughly 25 minute blocks, taking a five minute break. And then after three or four blocks, taking a longer 10 to 30 minute break uh, and just working in that, those cycles and having a timer. So the timer is definitely helpful too. But one of the biggest mistakes people make when, when using that kind of system where they have these uh, pre-planned breaks is that they essentially just use those breaks as a five-minute distraction, just an opportunity to context switch, uh, which is definitely not helpful. So what starts out as with very good intentions is building in these breaks and working in these increments uh, just becomes this habitual distraction pattern where every 25 minutes you jump on social media and, and uh, ruin your, your work sprint or uh, break the flow state. So keep that in mind. If you are taking breaks and you are being intentional like that, that's awesome. But make sure that the break you're taking is actually helping you to recover rather than just pushing you deeper in the hole. So uh, that's one thing. Another thing to think about is that activities are not equal day to day. They're not equal person to person. So a great example of this, your level of expertise doing something is going to affect what kind of attentional load it has. Um, so playing an instrument, for example, you might think of that as that's a great break activity that's creative, it's relaxing. But if you have just started playing piano, playing piano is probably a pretty heavily internal exercise. It's very cognitively demanding, thinking about where your fingers go, thinking about the tempo. There's a lot more that you have to think about. If you've been playing piano for 20 years and you can play without even thinking about it, it becomes a more neutral or more external exercise where you're almost just listening to the music that you play and you don't have to think about it. So keep that in mind. Uh, there, This is really personal, as most things are, and the cognitive and physical demands of an activity are dependent on, on you. They are individual, so uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So just to recap, we... Information consumes attention. Uh, using this model, I think of it as, as two different types of attention. You have internal and external types of attention in terms of how you interact with them and they can, or types of information rather, 
and they consume your attention in different ways. And by switching back and forth, uh, we can allow the other uh, type of attentional capacity to recover. Our ability to consume that opposite kind of information will slowly recover. The deeper you get into a burnt out state, the longer, uh, it's not a linear relationship, it's going to take exponentially longer and longer and longer, the deeper you get into a burnout to recover. So if we can avoid burnouts altogether, that is ideal for expanding the amount of time we can we can be effective during the day. And using breaks, it's really important to use breaks effectively, take them before that burnout happens. Take them before that curve even starts to change. And that's something you can only do really well if you have graphed this over time, seen the pattern, and then you can predict when that's gonna happen. Uh, so another reason to track it. And when you take those breaks, make sure you are either performing a neutral activity that uh, is not information heavy at all, or one that is uh, light and focused on the opposite type of information. Awesome. So that is my model for uh, the two types of attention, two types of information, and how I apply it to uh, charting attention and energy and focus throughout the day and how you can use that to be more effective in understanding what things cost. So I hope that was helpful. Uh, again, as always, if you have any questions on how this works, how you can use it, and uh, how to be more effective in your personal and professional lives. You know where to find me. My email address is linked to every episode. And um, I'm still thinking, I do have kind of maybe even a third aspect of this to talk about. I'm, I'm still debating whether to uh, do that next week or jump back to the regular format so you guys don't have to listen to just me for three weeks straight. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to subject you to that just yet, but... Uh, We'll see how merciful I'm feeling next week. But hey, if you've enjoyed the show, uh, let me know. If this has been helpful for you, let me know. Please uh, think about, consider leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to this show on if this has been helpful to you. And I'd very much appreciate it. I'd love to hear some feedback from our listeners. And uh, that's all for today. Happy learning. <laughs>